I want to invite you to turn with me in your scriptures, if you have a copy of them this morning, <clears throat> to 2 Timothy chapter 1. I just want to begin this morning by reading this passage that we'll be looking at together, starting in the very first verse of 2 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience, as night and day I remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we bow before you now as we open your word and ask that you would speak. Father, speak supremely into our lives. Let us hear your voice and yours alone. May your spirit be gracious to us and remove these things that might keep us from receiving from you what you would have us to hear and obey. We ask it in the name of Jesus, our God and our Savior. Amen. Well, on this special day, um, when we commemorate the godly women in our lives, whether they be our mothers or grandmothers or sisters or friends uh, or aunts or spiritual mentors or mates, it's fitting that in this letter, this seasoned pastor in his opening greeting to young Timothy reminds him of his spiritual heritage that originates from his maternal line. I think it's great. From a couple of godly women in his life. His grandmother, he mentions, first of all, Lois, and then also his mother, Eunice. And he wants to remind Timothy of that great legacy of faith. Um, it's interesting that um, we're receiving more and more emails from people who visit with us or who have young adult children in this area uh, or who are on our area campuses. And they are parents who are zealous for their adult children, obviously, to connect with a ministry or a good church. They want them to follow after the Lord um, while they're in college or in this area, and they, they check in, and having found us maybe on the website or through word of mouth, 99% of the time, guess who we hear from? 
mothers. Mothers who have a heart for their college-age sons or daughters. They want to know. They want to track them and encourage them in their faith. And the apostle is invoking this memory for Timothy, and I believe it's strategic. He's not simply emoting, though, this loving, kind of affectionate uh, expression of gratitude at the beginning for this young man. It's compelling and encouraging, but I believe he has another purpose for Timothy. He wants to rejuvenate the young disciples' faith. I think Timothy was flat out discouraged. Perhaps even considering throwing in the towel. I mean, this was no easy gig. This was Ephesus. And remember, the apostle appointed Timothy to stay there at that post, hard as it might be, and to stand against the, the winds of culture as they, as they blew hard against that fledgling ministry. And it took the form of false teachers and prophets who had found their way into the ministry. So young Timothy had to stand in all of his youth against the forces of such powerful men and, and influences in that body. And I think he had grown discouraged. And at this time, of course, uh, the apostle Paul, uh, to whom he, he drew, or from whom he drew such encouragement and, and strength, was now in chains in Rome, facing certain death. I mean, that was his reward for being faithful. I think he was down. I think he was discouraged. And I want us to take a closer look at why. Because it'll help us. Ephesus was the showcase church of the New Testament. Truly. It was a missionary church. An outpost that was established by the eloquent and learned uh, missionary Apollos. So its roots are strong and deep. Um, It had an intellectual foundation to it because of the uh, beginnings uh, with Apollos. But when the Apostle Paul dropped in for a visit um, to this struggling congregation, was on his second missionary journey, he discovered that, that they were bereft of the Spirit's power. He asked them, do you know anything about the Holy Spirit? And of course they said no, and so he, he introduced them to the great power and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And his brief visit turned into a three-year ministry among the Ephesian believers and the parting of, the, of Paul with these believers was sorrowful. There was much weeping. Uh, to look at this, I want us to go to Acts chapter 19 just for a few moments and see the backdrop, I think, of Timothy's experience in Ephesus. Acts chapter 19. We'll take a look at some of the challenges um, that were embedded in this work. This is Luke writing, of course. He says, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, well, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance 
which of course is wondrous and powerful, but he, he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, see that's that vivid image that he invokes in, in his letter to Timothy, when he placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there were about 12 men in all. 12, that's all. And Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. See, this is, this is part of the group. There was an obstinate element at Ephesus. And obstinance is one thing at face value, but when it's relentless and sustained, it, it wears, it tears. Steady, just resistance to the Word and to the Spirit. It's obstinance. <laughs> Get you down. This is Timothy's post. They refused to believe, imagine, and publicly maligned the way. So not only was it their will that was involved, but their actions, with their words, they spoke against uh, the work. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with them and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now listen to this. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were, were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. And some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed and they would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches... I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And one day the evil spirit answered them. Now listen, be careful if you're going to talk to evil spirits because they just might talk back. Don't do it. You talk to Jesus Christ. You let him take on the devil. They opened a can of worms here. Jesus, I know. <laughs> I know him. And I know Paul. But who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. This is Ephesus. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of our Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deers, repentance. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, an astounding uh, amount of, of money. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And after all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. And after I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. And he sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. Now look at this. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. 
a silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis brought in no little business for the craftsmen. (laughs) He called them together along with the workmen in related trades and said, Men, you know we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. Here's this Paul preaching the, preaching the gospel and it's hitting our pocketbooks. It's starting to affect the economy. It's starting to touch our established way of life, the things we hold dear. And uh, he says that man-made gods are no gods at all. There's, there's danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. And when they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And so soon the whole city was in an uproar. Great is Artemis. This is Ephesus. This is Ephesus. (laughs) This is Timothy's assignment. This is his post. Timothy, you stay there. You preach the gospel. You teach sound doctrine. You serve Christ in the Spirit's power. And there's going to be opposers. There's going to be obstinate people. There's going to be people who love their pocketbooks more than the ministry. There's going to be people who worship every form of of idol and false god and brick and piece of wood you can shake your stick at. But Timothy, you stay there. You you stay there. You be faithful. Man, I think he's down. I think he's discouraged. I think he's ready to cash it in. Paul says, man, Timothy... See, Ephesus at one point was nearly the perfect church. Something had gone seriously wrong. Now it was a mess. It happens. Good churches can go bad. Good ministries can too. So can good people. Surprisingly, sinners show up. Sinners like all of us, people. Wonderful beginnings can end in terrible catastrophes. Here's Timothy. And you see, the life of faith is always lived out, always lived out in wondrous, vibrant, messy terms. Always. We might try, but we simply cannot completely cut ourselves off from the negative influences of the culture in which we live. And this culture seeps into the church just like it did Ephesus. And this is Timothy's post. This is the place um, to which Paul is writing. Somehow and in some way, the religion of the culture, great is Artemis, whatever that is, had penetrated the gospel of Jesus Christ and was threatening to render it anemic at best and non-existent at worst. In this culture, we may not worship Artemis, some bizarre, spooky female god, but we've got plenty of gods of our own. There's a whole lot of idolatry that goes on that can also sleep, sleep into the culture of the church. 
We can worship comfort. We can worship luxury. We can worship um, our own experiences and our own sense of achievement and ambition and drive. We, my, my goodness, I, I heard this man preaching the gospel apparently and he was telling people to follow their dreams. What does that mean? To follow your dreams. I don't even know. But it's not in the New Testament. As if somehow my pursuing of myself and my passions and my dreams for my life is virtuous and akin to faithfulness to Jesus. You see, the, religious, the religion of culture always penetrates the church and the gospel when it is unchallenged. And serving and preaching and teaching and living and raising children in the face of it most certainly brings levels of discouragement I think it did to Timothy. Perhaps his faith was waning. There are situations and circumstances that can douse the flames of our faith, cause them to smolder, even at times go out. I believe it. When life takes sudden turns for the bad, and this happens, doesn't it? Just heard of another this morning about a family in abject grief this morning, having lost their two um, elementary age boys in an in a automobile accident in Riley this weekend. I, I can't even... Why? It can challenge our faith. Or when we're relentlessly assailed by temptation over and over again, or we give in to, to patterns of sin in our life, or discouragement grips us and falls over us like the leading edge of a black shelf cloud before a fierce storm, disappointment in relationships can bring us down and cause us to lose our faith. And serving a Christ against the subtle but prevailing grip of culture. Time given over to so many other gods. Attitudes that seek more, more satisfaction of self than pursuing the genuine things of Christ. All these things can douse the flames of faith. Let alone opposers and obstinate people who should be embracing the Spirit of God. Maybe you're here today. I don't know. And your, your original faith, once bright and compelling, now, now smolders because of the snuff of disappointments or heartaches. Or maybe you're disillusioned. Maybe you're beaten down. I want you to know that God knows and he understands. And he cares. He longs to revive that original trust in him. That calm assurance of which we sing. That joyful excitement that you experienced when you first found the light. And Paul writes to Timothy at this critical juncture in his life and ministry. And given everything we know about it in Ephesus at this juncture, I think this guy's as down as he can be. His faith is strained at best. And the apostle says, I want to offer you a couple of things to help your 
faith be renewed? What's the answer to a dwindling faith, to a faith that needs revived? The apostle gives it. Let's listen to him. Let's listen to him. This is what the apostle Paul says. He says in verse 5, I've been reminded of your sincere faith. Now, first of all, I'm sorry. He goes back to verse 3. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. As night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith which was first uh, lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. The answer, the apostle says, is to fan the flame. Fan the flame. We put a little mournful-looking fire pit in our backyard a couple of years ago, and our kids and many of the young adults around here have enjoyed uh, a few times around that little fire bike there. And often I'll get the fire going and uh, early on, then go in to get other things ready. And unattended, a fire will burn pretty good for a bit, but wind or lack of oxygen or um, not enough kindling or dry enough wood will eventually take its toll and Inevitably, I have to go out and get on my knees and blow onto the wood. It's a, it's a horrible looking thing, uh, uh, but it, it, hap- it works to get it going. There's enough of a flicker of flame left, but it, it needs fanned to get it hot again. Our faith needs it too, especially if it's been allowed to go out. Or if sin or life's pressures have doused its original intensity. And there's a couple of things Paul says that can be done to fan our, fla- our, fan our f- faith and to bring it back from the smolder of discouragement to power and love and impact. Now watch this. First he says it takes fervent, concentrated prayer. I love this. He says, listen, Timothy, I'm thanking God for you. I serve him with a clear conscience and I constantly remember you in my prayers. Taking on someone's discouraged faith in prayer. (laughs) Wow. Bringing that person in their name before the Lord constantly for protection, for healing, for encouragement. Lord, revive her faith. Bring her back to a renewed trust in you. Do whatever it takes, Lord. Encourage her. Bring someone into her life. Demonstrate your power in her life. Bring her back to joy. Bring back her flame. This is the apostle saying, every night I'm thanking God as I'm I'm thinking of you. I'm remembering you in prayer. What a great, great discipline. Constant prayer for someone's discouraged faith. I know, I know there are people in this body, in this congregation, that have powerful ministries in prayer. They're never up front. They're never under the lights. Seldom in plain sight, but they're having an incredibly effective ministry by continually and fervently praying for others who need the Spirit's care and, 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 and it's in ministry. It's amazing. It's amazing the power and the transformation that occurs. And 
You can't even begin to, to calculate the return on that kind of an investment in someone's life. Paul says, man, I'm, I'm calling, out on the, on, uh, 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 calling out to the Lord with your name every, every time I think of you because I know you're down. Conversely, there are those who would spend that valuable time rather than speaking to the Lord about someone who's discouraged, grumbling, or gossiping about someone, or about the ministry, like the people in Ephesus, because it's somehow not up to their standards, or how such and such did this, and can you believe that, and on and on and on it goes. And I'm here to say that you are hurting the work in your petty, faithless ways. So if that's you, just stop it. Stop it. Please. Remember Thumper and Bambi? If you can't say nothing nice, don't say nothing at all. That works in the church, too. If you're going to use your mouth, if you're going to use your lips, if you're going to use your vocal cords, let it be with a resounding call to God on behalf of someone who needs His grace. Pray down power and grace and protection for those in the work who become so easily discouraged or for new believers that have come new to faith. Easter Sunday, 15. You saw them all here. You heard the water. We've got a printout. Take one before you leave today. It's got all their photos and all their biographies and how they came to know the Savior. Use that. Take that with you to your, to your bedside at night. Kneel before the Lord and go right down the list and pray for those names. They're right there in the back. You've got them, right, Bill? Bill Ming's got them. Take one. Pray. Constant prayer. Pray for your mate. Pray for your children. Pray for your friends and relatives who are strained from the faith. Pray boldly. Pray relentlessly. Don't give up. Pray every night. Pray every morning. And fan the flames, fan the flames through constant prayer. Now there's a second thing that the apostle says, and that is by stirring up the gift. Fan the flames by stirring up your gift back into action. What he says, I love this. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan the flame, uh, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Everyone who knows God through faith in Jesus has been given a gift, a spiritual gift. By the way, this is not a talent. You are all very talented, naturally. (laughs) But as a follower of Jesus, at the point at which you received him by faith, God supernaturally granted you a spiritual ability, a gift that he wants you to use in the church for the glory of his name, 
for the building up of the body. That's what he's talking about. That's the gift. Stir it up. It's not to be confused with a ministry poster talent. It's not the same. And it's where we get hung up, I think. Um, a talent is playing the horn. And it can be developed and mastered. But it's not a spiritual gift. It's nice, and it can encourage us, but it's, it's not what's given to you when you come to know Christ. This is what he's referring to, a gift, a supernatural ability to lift someone out of discouragement because you have the gift of encouragement. Or to lift someone from a faithless state because you have the gift of faith. Or to correct someone in their um, their error in thinking or understanding about God because you have the gift of teaching. You can take them to the scriptures and you can lead them through the passage and, and explain to them the truth and set them free. That's a gift. It's not a talent. Or maybe you have the gift of mercy. <laughs> wow. Don't we need more of that stirred up? Some of you probably have it. You don't even know it. If you're, if you're constantly kind of following an impulse of feeling a need when no one else is looking. Or you, you sense needs in people's lives that everyone else misses because we're so busy away doing other things. You probably have the gift of mercy. And, and Christ needs you. You need, to, you need to fan that flame. Stir it up. You, we need you in the nurseries, in the children's department. That's where we need people who have the gift of mercy. If you have the gift of administration or leadership, you probably don't want to be in the nursery. It's a little too kooky and chaotic. But if you have the gift of mercy, oh, we could use you. These are gifts. You might have the gift of faith. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that's where the gifts are listed. People who supernaturally believe the glass to always be half, half full. That God is bigger. That God is able. Oh, that's the gift of faith. We're praying for men like that for our deacon board. Men who have the gift of faith. Who can believe God. Who can teach the scriptures. Who can set people free. Who can fan the flame. Love this. And bring back the gift. Get it out of the box and start using it again. That, that's, that's the vision. You'll be amazed at how that'll lift you. It'll encourage your faith. How to lift the church. And if you need help with that, maybe you need someone else's hands on you, like the apostle. Let some people around here lay their hands back on you and call the spirit of power back onto your life and fan the flame. Wow. Go on a mission trip. And trust God to supply. Just ask Him. Next time you hear a challenge, I'll go. Lord, you want me to go? I'll go. Show me that you want me to go. Let Him, let him blow you away with His goodness and His ability to, to just work everything out so that you can go and serve Him on a, on a foreign field. Don't try and orchestrate it or plan it or, you know, sell cookies. Just, just tell Him you'll go. And then watch Him work. It'll, it'll, it'll fan the flame of your faith. It'll encourage you. 
open his word again. Just open his word. Ask God to meet you in the pages and strains of, of his word. Nothing, listen, nothing fans the flame of your faith like the fire of the word of God. Just open the word. Just say, Lord, I, I don't want to overdo, I don't want to overstructure this, I don't want to pop in a DVD or a CD, I'm just going to, I'm going to open up this book, and I'm going to trust, I need your encouragement, I need you to challenge my faith, I want to grow, I want out of the doldrums, blow, blow your wind into the sails of my heart and my faith, I'm going to open your word, do that. Constant prayer, stirring up the gift, and finally, Embrace God's vision for who you are, for the glory of his name. In verse 7, he says, Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of confidence or self-discipline. Embrace who you really are for the glory of God. Here's what you are or not, I should say, if you are a child of God. You are not a fearful, trembling weakling that's afraid of all of life's shadows, disappointments, and devils. That's not who you are. Um, the word is cowardice. God has not given us a spirit of cowardice. You are not a coward if you are a child of God. You've not given us, been given a spirit of cowardice by Him. That's Satan talking. He'd love for you to stay all crouched up in the dark, all cut off from all oxygen so the flame of your faith just kind of pales to a flicker and eventually goes out. No, 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 no. You are a child of God and you have the spirit of the risen Jesus in you. That's who you are. That's what you are. You have power. You have supernatural resurrection power to overcome, to pray, to share your faith, to finally be freed from this debilitating pattern of sin in your life, to serve Him, to proclaim Him, you also have a supernatural love that compels others to believe in Him too. A love that covers, a love, a love that compels, a love that initiates. You have a love that demands you to die to self and serve others rather than always you. That's who you are. The Apostle says, Timothy, you have a bold and triumphant, triumphant confidence, not in yourself, but in the one who saved you by his grace. <laughs> oh, just rise. Rise from the soot, O oh believer. Rise from the ashes. Fan the flame of your original faith in Christ. Be set free from the smoldering pit of discouragement and fear. Let Him set you ablaze once again by the Spirit's fire. <laughs> um, this isn't the last time, by the way, that we hear of Ephesus. Listen. 
Paul wrote to the Ephesian believers. He wrote to Timothy about the Ephesian believers. But do you know that Jesus himself, the risen Jesus, also wrote directly to the believers at Ephesus? Listen to his words. Listen. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but you are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. Nice work. Yet I hold this against you. You have left your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Let he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Fanning the flame of your faith is not about more activity, more doings more service. It's about going back. Turning around. The Bible says, repent. And you know what repentance is? It's like gasoline to a campfire, you'll explode your faith. I'm sorry, Lord, for my selfish ways. I repent of always thinking about me. I confess that before you. I'm sorry, Lord, for being obstinate or speaking trouble rather than peace. I repent and turn from that sinful way. I repent, Lord, from allowing the religion of our culture to seep into my life, the religion of busyness and achievement and all of these other things that, that, that the world offers up as something mean. I'm sorry, Lord. I want to follow you. I want to live a life of sacrifice and self-denial. I'm sorry. Fan your flame into faith. I remember Neil Diamond years ago. This is going to show my age came out with a great song. It was a love song. 
talked about a love once alive and vibrant, having grown dull and a little weak. He titled it, You Don't Bring Me Flowers Anymore. going to be a lot of flowers transferring hands today. This is Jesus saying to Ephesus, more importantly, to me and to you. Man, I know what you do. I, I know the kind of time you spend around this place. I know, I know how faithful you've been. I know how busy you are. I know how you're doing with your family and your kids. I know that. I know how you're doing that. I know how you're showing up. I know how you're digging in. I know how you've got your oar in the water all the time. But you don't bring me flowers anymore. I miss the flowers. I miss the praise. I miss those simple, quiet times of worship, just you and me and, and the word that I've given to you. I miss it, I miss it. Oh, man. That's what he desires. Let's, let's go back. Let's go back. Let's do the first things. Let's bring him flowers. Let's be reminded of the things that matter most. Let's pray. Father, make this so. wherever, however, for whoever, but starting with me, do a work that only you can do. Remind us, give us a vision for what matters. Dying to self, rising to walk, in new life. Amen. Give praise to God as you watch witness of what God has done in the lives of those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their risen Savior. Zach, if you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes, I have. All right. Baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Still talking. Yeah. <laughs> Chase. Yeah. Have you accepted Christ as your personal yes, Lord and Savior? Yep. Alright. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Where am I going, Adam? <laughs> baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There you go. Jade, have you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes. I baptize you in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jed, have you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes, I have. All right, but I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Anna, have you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Awesome. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I get to wear waders because I have another thing to do after this, so. This is Tim Rudisell. And um, Tim has become a friend of the family and also of this whole ministry, and we're so thankful. And Tim, um, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes, I have. Amen. Based on your confession of faith, I now baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Victoria, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Okay, hold your nose. <laughs> I baptize you in the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Jacob, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes. All right, well, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I baptize you in the likeness of his death and raise you off in the of life. Ian, have you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes. All right, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death and raise the walk in the of life. Sammy, have you said accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes, I have. Okay, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of his death. Raise the walk in the newness of life. <laughs> have you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes, I have. All right, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of his death. Raise the walk in the newness of life. I'm under strict orders to hold Abby under a couple more seconds, so just don't mind that if I do. Um, no, um, Abby, have you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes. All right, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There you go, like this, just raise the walk in the of Christ. Yeah, hi, everybody, Kogan. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Kogan, 
Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Yes. And I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ. Say hi to everybody, Rochelle. Hi. Rochelle, have you accepted Jesus as your personal Savior? Yes. And I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's give God praise one more time. Isn't that wonderful? To God be the glory. Praise him again. Thank him. Thank the Lord. I'm going to invite Paul Acey to come. As I mentioned, we have these um, uh, names, the outline of all those who were baptized on Easter Sunday, and they're really wonderfully displayed here. So these are at the back. The ushers have them. If you did not receive them, uh, in time past, please um, please pick up one of these uh, on your way out. It's a great, great opportunity for you to pray. Uh, ask Paul Acey to come and just share a brief uh, opportunity for all of you. I brought a teammate, my first teammate. I, uh, basically, I came here to ask you today to join us as a team. Uh, I may not give you all the details at this moment, but I'm going to tell you this. It's going to challenge you. It'll probably cost you some time, probably cost you some money. Um, you may have to get a passport for this, but um, I'm reminded in a verse in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 8 where uh, it's talking about how Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. And right after that, he says that um, you've begun a great, great work, and I really want you to continue that work. Let's not let it go stale. So this team is not going to do something we haven't already done as a church. We just want to make sure it doesn't go stale. And so if you're interested in being part of this team, I guarantee you it's going to be 100% for the cause of Christ. It will challenge you, and we want you. doesn't matter if this is your first Sunday with this church. doesn't matter if you've been here since the foundation was raised. We want you as part of this team. So if you're willing to be part of this team, come see us after church. We're going to be up here. Or if you want to pray about it, wait for a couple of weeks. We're going to meet in a couple of weeks, and uh, we'll go over all the details of what we're going to try to accomplish. But I'm asking for a long-term commitment. It uh, doesn't have to be that long, but I'm asking you for a commitment, and uh, I guarantee you it will be better for you and for the cause of Christ if you join us. So I'm throwing you down that little challenge. So if you're interested, come talk to us. Thank you. Stay there, guys, okay? This, yeah, thank you. I'm going to invite our musicians to come back. And also, if you are a husband, father, son, grandson, nephew, great-nephew, great-grandson in this congregation, I want to invite all the dudes up onto the platform with me. Come on up. Come on up, guys. Don't be shy. Go ahead. Nudge your, nudge your guys. We're going to sing to the ladies. And um, Oh, did you hear that collective groan? Wait a minute. We just said no grumbling, right? Come on. We're going to fan the flame of your gift. Come on up. <laughs> Didn't mean to set you up for that, but. <laughs> you won't be by yourself, yeah.
They already heard the song they're going to sing. It's Bless the Lord, O My Soul. The words are going to be right there on the screen, guys, so no worries, okay? And uh, ladies, you can sing along. In fact, I encourage you to, but these guys are going to rapture you with their voices, okay? <laughs> no, <laughs> no individual mics. Wow, this is great. This is great. Don't they look great? Don't they look great? Yeah, nice. Jake. Okay, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, okay? This is an offering of praise to the Lord. Our thankfulness, really, to the Lord for these gals that God has given to us. Some of them might even be with him. We recognize that. Um, but nonetheless, we give him praise and we give him thanks, okay? So bless the Lord. How about an intro and then we'll sing. guys from your heart big smile here we go bless the lord oh my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name let us hear you bless the lord oh my said amen to god be the glory have a wondrous day in the grace and power of jesus christ thank you for being here thanks guys good job give them a hand